It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From the Chicago Football Studios, I'm Kevin Fishbane. It's time for Episode 8 of the ChicagoFootball.com Bears Podcast. Joined by my co-host Arthur Arkish, got executive producer Dan Mott on hand, a new associate producer this week, Nick DeMaio. He's our intern. We are not hazing him yet. Um, He's doing a great job so far. Got a good show for you today. We're going to talk about the wild and crazy game between the Bears and Lions on Sunday in Detroit. Uh, We'll talk about some uh, kind of assess the Bears heading to the bye later in the show with Hub Arkish. We got interviews coming up with Robert Klemko of the MMQB. Kind of talk about Bears and just some NFL stuff with Robert. Does a great job over there at Peter King's site. And then we have an interview at the end of the show with Bears tight end, H-back, fullback, football player, former quarterback, Zach Miller, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bears underscore Insider. I am at K Fishbane. He is at Arthur Arkish. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Arthur, that was a wild one on Sunday. Uh, a lot of stuff I want to touch on from it. Um, before, one of the, before we get to the clock management stuff, you, you cover the Lions for USA Today. And you cover the Bears for us, obviously. So what? I mean, what's your what was your overall takeaway from the game? I'll give you the most general, vague question I can. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, and and I kind of am kicking myself for not realizing this, but the Lions were sort of a you know a sleeping giant just because of the passing game personnel that they do have because. Uh, they had yet to get a win. Obviously, they were due, and uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not going to say at the time I saw it coming. I picked the Bears, but um, you saw what the Lions are capable of when Matt Stafford is Matt Stafford, and, and when Calvin Johnson is Megatron. So that was, I guess, the biggest takeaway. And uh, you know, the offensive line actually protected him well. I'm not sure if that was more about the Lions or uh, Chicago's inability to rush the passer, but um, uh, they were due in a big way, and obviously they, they came through, and uh, the Bears were on the wrong end of it. Yeah. And- Lance Moore um, had a big game. That's Spencer Bowie, right? Who just chimed in? <laughs> it is. He agrees. He agrees or disagrees with something. I. You know, Spencer said. Bowie so, uh, was. Yeah, we'll see what else he has to he, say throughout the podcast. He was pretty disappointed with the the play of the Bears secondary. And you know, going into the game, uh, our kind of matchup to watch was Lions wide receivers versus the Bears secondary because the secondary just hadn't been tested much, um, really, since the Arizona Cardinals game, and they weren't good in that game. They weren't good against Green Bay. Uh, then the next three quarterbacks kind of 
gave them a break and didn't throw it at them. And then, uh, you know, here comes Detroit, and he went after me. I think that the Bears had not given up a play for more than 34 yards all season. They gave up five of those such plays on uh, Sunday. And now as we had in the bye week, you look at that secondary, look at those cornerbacks and safeties, and you're like, okay, well, well, this is kind of a, an issue again. We thought this might have been gone, but maybe it's just that the quarterbacks weren't thrown at them, and Stafford took advantage and exposed them. Yeah, I guess the the real question here is what took so long for the Bears' opponents. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's uh, that the secondary was suddenly not an issue, uh, but like you said, that they really hadn't been uh, greatly tested. That obviously changed, and uh, uh, the Bears have a lot to clean up when you give up whatever it is, 560 something yards of offense, 37 points. Um, you're not going to win a lot of games that way, and uh, the Bears are hoping to get quite a few more wins before it's said and done. So. The defense has to regroup. Uh, you know, the, the fortunate news is there's a lot of uh, good stuff to hang hang their hats on offensively and uh, kind of go from there, Kevin. Yeah, you know, I, I want to talk about the time management now because so I, I kind of always think that NFL coaches need to play more video games like Madden or, you know, NFL 2K, <laughs> whatever, you know, video games you play. Because when I'm playing a video game, the video games are, are steered towards the offense succeeding. So you, you generally find a way to score a lot of points in a short amount of time. So whenever I'm playing a video game, uh, and I haven't actually played in a long time. College used to do it a lot. And uh, if I was the Bears and uh, the Lions make that big play to Lance Moore with 110 on the clock, clock is running, Lions have no timeouts, Bears have all three of their timeouts, I immediately call a timeout right there in a video game. And I know this is not real life because I'm thinking, well, I know I'm going to be able to go back down and score on them. And I want as much time as possible because, you know, maybe my defense stops them here and doesn't matter. But just in case they don't, I want all that time on the clock. John Fox took the other side uh, and he decided that he wanted to force the Lions to make the plays with the clock running, make them think about it more. It's kind of what Bill Belichick did in the Super Bowl. And obviously it worked for the Patriots. But during the Super Bowl, I remember sitting thinking my TV, maybe you should call a timeout. Where do you stand on how Fox handled the end of the fourth quarter? Which, by the way, I should mention, John Fox said it didn't matter because they ended up getting the game-tying field goal. But if they had a few more seconds on the clock, they might have gotten a game-winning touchdown wouldn't have to worry about overtime. Yeah, I mean, give it, that, that's so ridiculous. I'm sorry, but for him to say that is, is a, it's a little bit insulting. You don't need I mean, to, to, apo- you don't need to the, apologize for well, John Fox. You know, and we give Fox a break, I think, on some cases, but uh, watching the way the Lions tried to defend Alshon Jeffrey most of the day, and particularly on that final drive, who's to say with an extra 15 or 20 seconds they don't drive down for the touchdown? So I take exception to that, and and, and you raise a great point. Certainly uh, it worked for Bill Belichick, uh, holding out on, on calling timeouts and allowing Pete Carroll to, to give away the Super Bowl, but uh, uh, I'm in the other camp. I'd like to see you know what that Bears offense is capable of. I'd like to maximize their chances. Um, you know, Obviously Fox uh, elected not to do that, and uh, we saw the way it played out and and I have to say this shouldn't be a shocker to anyone we knew uh, you know going into this year that one of Fox's biggest knocks was his game management was his uh, conservative ways and uh, they reared their ugly head in a big way in Detroit they did and uh, let's kind of break down this game a little bit more with our weekly three and out I'm gonna give you to the count of three then Shalt thou count to three? I'm going to count to three. One, two, five! Three, three! Three All righty, one positive, one negative, one moment that mattered from Sunday. Arthur, your biggest bear is positive. 
Yeah, I'm going to go off script a little bit. I do my weekly stock report. This didn't make it on there, but the more I think about it, the more impressed I am, the more I've watched the tape, the more I, I come away thinking that Charles Leno, the Bears really may have something in the 2014 seventh rounder. Uh, three straight games, Alden Smith, uh, uh, he gets Tom Bahali, and then he and then he gets Ziggy Ansah leading the NFL in sacks. He shut them all out. You can throw in Hironis Grasso too. I, I think there were a lot of issues for the Bears on both sides of the ball, all three phases really. But pass protection was not one of them, and I was very very proud of the two inexperienced linemen and the job they were able to do keeping Cutler upright. All right, well, I'll take your your positive from your fourth and goal story, which, by the way, you can find at chicagofootball.com. That's a tease. Um, Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, he just makes such a big difference in the offense, and Jake Culler being able to hit him. He's <laughs> pretty good, right? Yeah, oh, my gosh. He, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he changes the game, and, and I, I, you still need to see it game after game. you got to see him healthy. you got to see him be the number one receiver, but you wonder why they didn't go back to him in overtime or, you know, because they were so successful with him. You know, Culler, I thought, had a great game, but he had three Bad throws. You know, the interception, the second and goal when he missed Eddie Royal on the slant, and he missed Matt Forte deep down the sideline on a third and long when Forte was open. But aside from that, I thought Cutler was fantastic, and he has been for the most part uh, when he's been healthy this season. What, what was your biggest negative uh, from the loss? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it uh, at the top, but I just think the Bears' pass rush, this was such an opportunity. They should have smelled blood that Detroit Lion has been among the worst in football, and uh, two weeks in a row, I, I just I thought it really fell short. The Chiefs were, were nearly as bad protecting the quarterback, and the Bears got home a little bit. They didn't really get home at all this week. The one time they did, Pernell McPhee gets flagged for uh, one of the biggest gaffes of the game, so they're going to need a more consistent rush to try and cover up some of the issues they're having in the secondary. We didn't see that Sunday. Yeah, you know, the that showed two sacks and I think eight quarterback hits, but you wouldn't have known. Yeah. And also, you had Stafford escaping from the pocket and, getting, and, right. and breaking tackles. You know, Matthew Stafford is not Russell Wilson. He's not fast. Um, that <laughs> that the tackling was an issue. Uh, I got to go with the red zone offense. I know it's obvious, but three for eight, really three for seven if you discount the last play play of regulation. But uh, you, you got to score touchdowns in the red zone. I mean, they could have put this game away by halftime. Uh, you know, if they were able to, to to score there and execute there. The run game didn't do anything. Cutler was one for six inside the 10-yard line. you got to be better than that uh, when you have as many weapons as they had healthy, and that's something I imagine they're going to uh, work on this week during the bye. All right, Arthur, there were 161 plays, so what was your one moment that mattered out of the 161 plays? Yeah, uh, a lot you could obviously uh, look at. In light of Chuck Pagano and, and the fake punt gate that we saw uh, in, in the deflate gate game, I'm going to stick with uh, the Bears' failure on fourth and two. It, it's late in the game. The defense has finally gotten off the field, and it, it appeared like they weren't ready for a perfectly executed fake punt. Uh, goes for 30-something yards. Now, now, in the Bears' defense, they still did get off with just a field goal because of Jim Caldwell's own conservative uh, game management skill. But, uh, you know, that was obviously a killer playing the game. And it's too bad because I thought otherwise special teams was terrific. Yeah, I, I had special teams as a positive in my, in my three and out. But you're right. That was uh, the big glare and error. Sherrod Martin had a chance, too. If you go back he and did. watch. He, he took he, a bad angle. Bad angle. Yep. And you can see that more on the All-22 Slideshow at ChicagoFootball.com. That's a teaser. Another tease. We got oh, so many of them. Um my, you know, it's funny. I I try to keep track of moments that matter as the game goes along. I had like 15 of them by the end. Um, but I'm going to go to what happened at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the interception that we thought was Jonathan Anderson's interception turned back into Golden Tate's touchdown. Uh, really, obviously, such a shift in uh, the game. Just 
logistically the score. I mean, that's that's seven points for the Lions that maybe shouldn't have been. And that leads us, Arthur, into the ultimate existential question. What is a catch? And and let's go, let's remind folks what Dean Blandino and Walt Coleman said uh, on Sunday. Stafford, end zone. The ball is juggled, and the Bears come up with it. The room on the field has changed. It is a We just had a review in the Lions-Bears game. The ruling on the field was an interception. Golden Tate controlled the pass right at the goal line. The ball came loose and was eventually caught by a Chicago defender. This is different than the plays we've been talking about, the Des Bryant play or the Calvin Johnson play. This is not a receiver who's going to the ground. The issue here is did he become a runner before the ball came loose? Did he have control, both feet down, and then time enough to become the second foot is down? When you watch the play, the ball comes loose. He is taking his third step. The third step is almost on the ground when the ball comes out. He had demonstrated possession, had become a runner. Once the ball breaks the plane of the goal line in possession of a runner, it is a touchdown, and the play is over at that point. Okay. All right, Arthur, I, I, I see what Dean Blandino is saying. I don't entirely agree with most of that. I, before I get to my take on the play itself, I think that this is one of the most embarrassing things about the NFL. And think about that statement, how many embarrassing things there are about the NFL. The fact that they don't know what a catch <laughs> is is insane. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll let you go first. What is your take? Should that been a touchdown or an interception and arthur please what is a catch oh gosh well the second part i i have no idea uh, what the answer is and i like you i blame the nfl they have allowed for this gray area to creep into the game and this is a game i'll remind people that is promoting passing promoting long balls and points and deep balls etc uh yet we don't have any definitive answers on what a catch is uh now back to the first part and I don't think Bears fans are going to be thrilled, our podcast listeners. I thought the call was right, actually, and I thought Blandino's explanation wasn't terrible because there is a, a big difference between when you're going to the ground and when you do uh, maintain possession crossing the goal line and get to two full steps, which I thought he did. So it's unfortunate. It was bang, bang. It was very close. But uh, at the end of the day, I actually thought they got the call right. Um, but I, again, shame on the NFL for allowing this to be uh, such an ongoing source of you know confusion and, and frustration for fans and teams and media members alike. And this is where the new catch rules are going to become a problem because the the crossing the plane it, it's it's such a casual thing. I mean, you watch a running back jump over the pile. All he's do is stretch the ball over a piece of the white line, and it's a touchdown. No matter what happens after that, the ball could get knocked around, knocked into the air. You know, if you're a wide receiver, you can catch a ball, run all the way downfield, and literally just hit the ball against the pylon, let the ball fl- fly out of bounds, and if you stay standing, it's a touchdown. So the 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 plane the rules about the the plane of the goal line are so you know lax, and then suddenly the catch rules are so specific. So in terms of crossing the plane, I get it. He crossed the plane, touchdown. But here's the thing, if he took three more steps after he crossed the plane, fell down, and then the ball came out, it wouldn't have been a touchdown, I don't think, because of these insane rules. So here's my, my thing. I agree with you, and I think that like in it of itself, when you go back and look, it, it, I could see where it should have been touchdown. I think because every official on that field 
said interception. I think that's one where Blandino needs to say, you know what, you guys called it on the field. You all saw it this way. Let's stick with the call. I think it should have been called stands. Yeah, and I can't argue with that because, you know, the the officials aren't being done any favors. Dean Blandino, I don't believe it. Is the one who writes the rules. I know he's the vice president of officiating, but I have to think this goes even higher up than that. And, and I'm guessing on this. I'm not totally sure. Um, you know, but I see what you're saying, and I do think it's a great point about the fact that if he does go to the ground and then the ball pops out, even though he clearly had possession while crossing the goal line, then you can make the argument it's not a catch. So, you know, it's way above my pay grade, and uh, it's just unfortunate because you know this is like a bulletproof product right now. Bulletproof—that's a bad choice of word. It's kind of invincible right now, yet people are coming away so frustrated. I feel because of just all the silliness that's going on with the with the rules and the way they're being interpreted. Greg Hardy approved of your metaphor. Oh gosh, that makes me <laughs> regret it even more. But okay, uh, we're, we're going to talk about this more. We're going to bring in our, our NFL expert Robert Klemko. We're going to get him out of line in a second and talk with Robert Klemko of MMQB uh, a little bit more about all this stuff going on in the NFL. You can follow him on Twitter at Robert Klemko K L E M K O, and he's so nice to join us uh, this week on the Bears by talk a little bit Bears and NFL. But Robert, you got to help us with this question that we're working on today. What is a catch? <laughs> it seems to change every week, right? I, <clears throat> you saw the um, explanation from Dean Blandino about one of the recent catch arguments, and I think the thing was 200 and, or 250 words long. It really shouldn't take that long to explain it. Um, I hope that that's something that they can simplify in the off season. but they've had a reason to the last three or four years and haven't done it, right? Yeah, it's been brutal, and we, we kind of talked about it because of the, of the Golden Tate play with the Bears, and my thing is that I don't think the, the catch rule meshes with the plane of the goal line rule, where it, it's so easy to just cross a plane, um, but now it's so difficult to make a catch, so I'm not really sure if they need to change the plane of the goal line rule to mesh with it better, or they should change the catch rule. The, the fact is this stuff is just way too subjective at this point, and, and I kind of thought that call should just stand because everybody said interception um, on the field. But I do get the fact that he crossed the goal line with the ball, and that should be a touchdown. Yeah, I do, and, and I think back to the Cincinnati, the Tyler Eifert would be touchdown when he crosses the goal line with the ball after seemingly making a football move, but he was falling down, so... He had an established possession, and then it, 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 it comes out. I, I really just don't get it. I, there, there's always a way to explain it both ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Robert, let's talk about some things hopefully we do have a better idea on. I agree with you that the catch rule is frustrating or the lack thereof with the interpretation of the rules. I think we can all agree that the Bears are not a very good football team right now, um, but that they appear to have made some strides. What's your early kind of impression of what John Fox and Ryan Pace have been able to do with this club that seemed to have uh, quite a bit of confidence, actually, before uh, you know a difficult loss on Sunday. Yeah, they get the two big wins, and, and I think a lot of, buddy, uh, a lot of uh, people around the NFL had discounted them um, early on this season because of the first few performances. Um, it, this last loss is disappointing because I think it had as much to do with roster deficiency as it did scheme. Uh, especially in trying to defend Calvin Johnson. But I think the one bright spot for the Bears uh, has been the play of Jake Cutler. Uh, I'm not saying that the guy is lighting the world on fire, and that's certainly hard to do uh, with this team and with the staff that's around him. But I think you're seeing a, a more improved Jake Cutler, at least, uh, than the guy you saw last year. 
And Robert, I was, I was going to ask you about Jay because uh, over the summer during MMQBs, what did you guys do? A hundred football things, right? Like, yeah, the hundred uh, most important players in football. Yeah. So, and, and you handled the Jay Cutler. By the way, for those who don't know, Robert covers all stuff around the league, but he is based in Chicago, so he periodically uh, pokes his head in Hallis Hall or at Soldier Field, and and you wrote about Cutler, <laughs> and he is the most important player certainly on the Bears, and and we've talked on this podcast. I think he's playing very well. He's you know you're still taking that chance of the interception, but it hasn't been like the past. What do you what are you crediting this to in terms of Cutler's success and how much of it goes to Adam Gase. And I'm also curious, one thing we talk about a lot is his future. And, you know, next year he's still, the Bears are still on the hook for a lot of money. Uh, what do you think about, you know, based on the way he's playing, how that affects his future at the Bears? Yeah, well, I think w- what I wrote has sort of come to fruition in some ways. Uh, Adam Gase coming from Denver where Peyton Manning learned as much from him as, as he learned from Peyton Manning. I think his big goal was to simplify the reads uh, and to not have the interceptions that come from extending a play for too long and making a desperation throw. And I, I think that he's been successful in that with Jay. If you look at you know all six of their games, he's only been sacked one time. I mean, is that is that correct? Uh, that's something I should probably know the answer to, and I don't. Luckily, it's a podcast, and we don't need to know. It's answers. a low number. I don't it's know if low. it's one, but it's definitely a low number, low. and it also speaks, I think, to his movement in the pocket this year, which seems to be improved as well, Robert. Right. I mean, if you if you look back on those games, I don't know if one sack is the right number, but he's only been knocked around a few times, and this is not a great offensive line that he's playing behind. I mean, you've got Charles Leno playing left tackle, and, and a couple weeks ago against Kansas City, he had one of the worst games I've ever seen a left tackle play, and yet Jay is getting the ball out of his hands. Um, and once again, uh, like I said, he's not tearing it up, but he doesn't exactly have the offensive staff um, to support big scoring outputs, big yardage output. But I think that he and Adam Gates have been able to minimize the mistakes. I think going forward, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to draft a quarterback high, if they were to spend a, a two or a three on a guy who can sit behind Cutler and learn and, and possibly you know ask Cutler to pass the torch at some point, or if Cutler regresses, uh, dump it. But just to put that pressure uh, on Cutler, I think is good for him. But we're not at the point where they need to go out and get a replacement for him, which I think was one of the biggest goals this season. Yeah, I think you raise a great point. And, and actually, you know, the worst part of the contract is is in the past now, after this year. So I think it's... Um, uh, $16 million for next year, $10 million of which has already been, uh, or $10 million of which is guaranteed. So it, it does seem somewhat palatable if they do want to stick with him maybe as a bridge guy, like you said, if you draft someone younger. Um, what about Cutler's best resource, Alshon Jeffrey? Let's speak in hypotheticals for a moment. If he can stay on the field and if he can sustain the dominance that we saw Sunday, is he in line for one of these silly wide receiver contracts this offseason? And do you think it would come from the Bears? I think it would have to come from the Bears, and, and those are two big ifs. I mean, he's only played two games this year. Uh, obviously, he played the whole game in both of those, and he was tremendous. Um, you mentioned his performance on Sunday. I think that was the guy uh, you were hoping to see all season. Um, I think he is in line for the next big wide receiver contract. I don't think it'll be on the level of what Demarius, uh, Demarius Thomas got in Denver uh, or Des Bryant got in Dallas, but maybe just the tier right below that. I would I'd make the comparison between uh, the the uh, Russell Wilson contract for quarterbacks and and the Aaron Rodgers benchmark. 
Joined that right now by Robert Klemko of the MMQB. He's like, what are you, like the sergeant in Peter King's army? Do you guys have, like, the lieutenant, <laughs> your, your ranks there? By the way, he, uh, Jay Keller's been sacked eight times, but we're, we're going to let you eight times. We're gonna let you stay on the uh, on the podcast with us. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> one more uh, about the Bears, Robert. Uh, cause you, you cover the league, and you see these GMs and head coaches and coordinators and how they work together. I think the Ryan Pace, John Fox, relationship is fascinating um you know the young guy and the veteran coach who acts kind of young that that's not a knock he's just kind of a a younger seeming guy and john fox what do you think in terms of the you know i think the bears got pretty fortunate to get john fox but from an outsider's perspective from a national perspective how much do you think these are the right guys to kind of get the organization in down the right path well you when you look at model franchises around the nfl i think the big common component is that everybody stays in their lane and does their job. Uh, the Steelers being one of them. You know, maybe Mike Tomlin is not the best head coach in the NFL. Uh, maybe uh, Kevin Colbert isn't the best GM in the NFL. But both of the, those guys have clearly demarcated roles, and they stick to them. So in terms of the chemistry between Pace and Fox, I don't think we're going to have a really good picture of that until you go through one more off-season cycle, a full off-season cycle. If you can get through that without any major disagreements on draft picks, if, if Ryan Pace is, is allowed to stock the kitchen with, you know, a, a small amount of input from John Fox, but there's no major conflict there, I think it could be a great long-term uh, partnership. Obviously, the the whole thing revolves around the quarterback, and it seems based on the small sample size of John Fox and Adam Gates and Jay Cutler that they've got that combination. I don't think we'd be talking about what a model franchise the Patriots are or the Steelers are if they didn't have Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger. And Cutler's not that, but I think he can be serviceable in the long term. Robert, let's take a look at uh, John Fox's former employer, and obviously the chemistry kind of ran out, if you will, between John Elway and John Fox. What do you think's going on in Denver right now? Is there any reason to believe that Peyton Manning can still turn it on? Is there anything left? Um, and if not, how far can what I think has been the best defense in football take them? What's kind of the ceiling on this Broncos and, and what could be Peyton Manning's last hurrah? Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually at this game on Sunday in Cleveland. I haven't been able to get out to many Bears games this year just because of the way they've been playing, so uh, I'm a little bitter about that. But I did get out to Cleveland, and um, you got the sense from everybody in that locker room that Peyton still has it in flashes. Uh, he makes a big throw down the sideline to Emmanuel Sanders, uh, a heck of a play, a vintage Peyton Manning throw. So I think a lot of those guys feel like he's just finding his groove. He's just developing a relationship with Gary Kubiak, and and that some of that stuff is going to work itself out. Obviously, some of these balls, if you're watching these games, and now you've got the high-def slow-motion replay of the these ducks leaving Peyton Manning's hand, uh, obviously he's off a little bit. But... I think with that defense, like you mentioned, you can still make a playoff run and you could possibly still win a Super Bowl. It depends on how Peyton plays in the cold, which nobody knows how his hands and his neck is going to react. But that defense could very well be the best we've seen since the 2013 uh, Seattle Seahawks. I was just comparing some of their, their metrics. I think the Seahawks gave up like 273 yards a game that year which is unheard of, which, which you know, they were compared to the 85 Bears for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe the Broncos are giving up somewhere around 280, 285 uh, per game. So they could actually finish the year 
as the best defense of this era. Robert, uh, just so you know, John Fox, I believe, is an avid listener to our podcast, so he has a bulletin board uh, right now up. It says, if you don't play better, Robert Klemko is not going to cover your games. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure all the guys at House Hall are very sad about that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to wrap up with this one, Robert, for you. You you do a really good job um, of finding some unique stories and, and kind of following the league in, in a different way. I'm curious, what's kind of your favorite storyline around the league right now? What's kind of your whether it's a team or a player or a coach? What's what's kind of something that you've kind of enjoyed following a little bit? and You're looking forward to seeing what happens down the stretch. Yeah, well, every uh, every off season, elite. Tita and I and some of the guys from Pro Football Focus and then various people of our staff, we make like a tour, a training camp tour. And this year uh, I got to join this RV that was, uh, I know actually it was a van, uh, a Mercedes van that was MMCB sponsored. And we went all the way down the East Coast through Florida and then up through the uh, Southeast. And I was thinking during that trip as we saw um, Carolina and Atlanta almost back to back that neither of those teams were going to be very good. I thought Atlanta with Dan Quinn was going to be on their way, maybe finish the year 7-9, and 8-8 eight eight or something. I thought Carolina was absolutely doomed. They had Michael Oler starting a tackle, uh, at left tackle, and I just didn't have a lot of hope for, for Cam Newton this season. Uh, and then they lose Keekly early on in the season. I figured they'd be, you know, 1-4, 1-5 at this point. But both of those teams, I think they've got one loss between them now. And I could see Atlanta... Uh, especially making a run just because of how they balanced out the offense with a, a great running game and Devonta Freeman. So every year I'm, I'm always intrigued by the surprise teams and, and how new coaches or veteran coaches are able to turn teams around and, and how that model applies to the rest of the NFL. So those are the two teams that I'm really watching closely. Well, we'll keep an eye on those teams too, and I keep a very close eye on Devontae Freeman because uh, he's on my fantasy team. So uh, Robert <laughs> uh, Robert Klemko of MQB. By the way, if you are a Bears fan, I highly recommend a story that Robert wrote last year about uh, Kevin Kelly and Walter Payton. Uh, Kevin Kelly works uh, for the Colts now, right? Or is it Chargers? Yes. Colts. Uh, okay. Chargers. He's a scouting director there. Chargers. And, and the relationship he made with the uh, former great Bears running back, Walter Payne, you can go uh, use the Google machine to find that. Uh, Robert, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, let, let me clarify one thing, and, and I think this is an important staff stat that's as indicative of anything Cutler has done this season. The uh, the one sack that I referred to is how many that have been his fault. I mean, how uh, many okay. are as a result of where these extended plays, PFS keeps those. So um, I think if you look at that in contrast to some of the mistakes that he made uh, extending plays last year, that's a big deal. That's a good stat to know, and you are now back in Jay Cutler's good graces. He also listens to the I'm podcast. I'm back in good graces. <laughs> thanks a lot for having me, guys. All right, thanks, Robert. Arthur, I don't know if you've read that story um, that he did. with. Uh, it's called Sweetness in the Scout. Uh, it came out last March. It's very good. You should read it. It's one of those stories, actually. I think I, I sent it to my mom. I said, oh, it was a good story by a guy named Robert Klemko. You should read it. And the response was, that was really good. Why don't you write stories like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's the, the tough love from your mother. I, yeah. I love that. And uh, I can honestly uh, say I have not read it yet, but I'll be doing that uh, in the near future. I, I really do. Uh, appreciate all Robert's work and uh, great stuff per usual on, on the podcast today. And it's always interesting to bring in national folk to get um, their mm-hmm. view of Cutler because he's just so polarizing here. And I think sometimes in Chicago, it's easy to just go so far on one end, so far on another. And here's an example. I tweeted his stats from the red zone, or excuse me, inside the 10-yard line. One for six, an interception. Uh, the pass went for zero yards, the one that he completed. He has 
zero rating. So I put a hashtag blue Tarski from Animal House. And I immediately got a tweet that said, you know, you guys always bash Cutler. And like, I, I was literally just giving the stats. And anybody who follows me or reads my stuff, I do nothing but bad. If, if Cutler plays poorly, I'm going to write that he plays poorly. If he doesn't, I'm going to write that he played well. He played well on Sunday, not inside the nine. It's just it's amazing the way that people still handle this guy and you know in, in, in this 10th season in the league and you know 7th here in Chicago um that they, they're just still so polarizing so it's kind of refreshing to get a, a bit of a national uh more objective take on him yeah no doubt I, you know i think it speaks to a few things first of all the long memories that some people have because let's not kid ourselves cutler brought some of this on himself and some of his past uh, discretions and certainly he's not perfect still but i think he's come a long way in terms of his dealing dealings with the media and uh obviously on the football field the other thing i was going to say is and, and i use passer rating we certainly both use the statistic but uh cutler's performance this season is as good a, of evidence any that passer rating is such a flawed stat he's got an 80 6.2 right now which would be among the worst in his career and I think uh, most of us at least Chicago at Chicago football would agree that he's probably playing among the best football we've seen uh, throughout his time not only here but frankly uh, dating back to Denver maybe aside from that Pro Bowl season yeah that's true and it's something that uh, people maybe forget on purpose or accidentally forget but uh, one guy who's a big fan of Jay Cutler uh, is Zach Miller the Bears number two tight end uh, and I got a chance to talk to Zach Miller we talked a little bit about Jay and you're going to hear the interview right now on ChicagoFootball.com. Joining me now on the Bears podcast is Bears tight end Zach Miller. Or are you tight end? Are you an H back? You a fullback? What are you now? Football player. Football player. Yeah, we got to put that new position. Football player. So when I remember I wrote about you last year, and I felt like the first time I wrote about you, I had to mention you were a quarterback mm-hmm. in college. So do you see more often stories about Zach Miller? I mentioned Zach Miller used to be a quarterback in college or that Zach Miller once in a while has had a foot injury. <laughs> Which one do you see more? Oh, gosh. I'd say probably quarterback. Quarterback. I've got to let the foot injury one go. I don't want to read those ones. There you go. So let's, uh, let's move on to we've got to talk about Nebraska a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, your home state, yep. where you went to college, obviously. What's something about Nebraska nobody knows? Oh, man. Or even your favorite thing about Nebraska? My favorite I don't know about Nebraska, man. See, it's just home for me. That, yeah. I mean, I, all my family's there. All my wife's family's there. Um, you know, Omaha's a really cool city, but there's not a ton of stuff to do. Um, it's growing, it's expanding, but there's not, you know, you come out to the country, we can have some fun. There you go. We can cool. do some so what's your favorite uh, the country activity? What are you doing in the off-season in the country? Oh, man. This might not be legal. That's okay. We're podcast. We shoot a lot of guns. We like to shoot a lot of guns go. in Nebraska. You know, last uh, you know last time I think we were home, we were off the shooting guns off the porch. I had my wife out there in high heels <laughs> shooting bottles off the porch. So you know, she got a good shot. She did. She nailed it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "There's no way she's gonna hit this." I put it on my Instagram. She smoked that thing. Okay, so who's more country, you or Mark Mariani? Uh, Mark. Yeah, because yeah. he seems to get really into the Chicago stuff. Well, too. here's the he's thing, in, and he was a national. Mark married a California girl. Oh, okay. So he, he's he's starting to lean that way. Right. But Mark's country. Okay. He's in Monta- he's Montana all the right. way. And now that Jared's gone, there's a little you know you guys you guys got to step up. The there's country. there's a there's a void there. So yeah. tell me something about Marty that if there is anything people don't know about Marty Bennett, is there something? No, I don't there? think so. He's very open. Yeah. Um, you know, creativity to the fullest. I keep a tab in my phone 
of Marty quotes. Ooh, there you go. So, like, stuff that he says throughout the day, if, I, if it hits me, I'm like, I got to put that one in there. And so I put them in there. So I got a tab of notes in my phone uh, under Marty quotes that are pretty entertaining. They're, they're explicit, most well, of them. Right, right. <laughs> I mentioned to Kyle, he was on our first podcast. By week 10, I'm hoping to get explicit language allowed yeah, in the podcast. Right. So we'll wait. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll, follow we'll that. wait on that. Has, I've actually noticed no one's, uh, none of the reporters have talked to Kari Lee about his famous impression. Yeah. You saw it hard enough. I did. Do you guys remember uh, about that? Do you guys talk to him about that? We talked all? about it right when he got here. Yeah. Um, a couple of us had not seen it, so we pulled it up, we looked at it. Yes, exactly. And we're waiting on one. Okay, so come. he's been kind of quiet. Yeah, I mean, we we really haven't uh, revisited it yet, but uh-huh. it, it needs to be brought up, and he needs to hit somebody in this building. Yeah, I I feel like Fox is a guy you can make an impression of. He he's got definitely, that kind of he definitely voice, and definitely could go go after that. But I'm not sure if he's ready yet. Right, not ready. Um, going back to uh, go back to Nebraska briefly. For me, so my dad grew up in Omaha. Mm-hmm. His whole family lived in Omaha. So I went there all the time. So I was, and I'm from Chicago, so I was the only city boy hanging out yeah. in Omaha all the time. Yeah. The zoo there. Speak up, you big idiot. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Ruin our podcast. See, now, now Matt Forte's been on the podcast. Matt's so in. I can throw in. A Matt Forte not, not that Zach Miller won't get all the yeah. listeners, but yeah. if I throw in a Matt Forte, it makes Matt a special Forte appearance. Um, the zoo, though, in Omaha is pretty cool. Unbelievable. So there, there's something there. Yeah. I and forgot about that when you mentioned Omaha. Uh, one of the best zoos in the country. Yeah, there you go. Um, when you... Uh, Oops, sorry. What's something in your pregame ritual? Do you do anything superstitious? You got music, you listen to food, you got to um, eat? I don't do... I don't have much of a, a superstition. I mean, I got a routine coming, hot tub, shower, uh, normal stuff. Um, I do have a playlist that I listen to, strictly Tupac music. I don't know how I got to be a West Coast rap fan growing up in Nebraska. Yeah. Early on in my juvenile days, I, I became a, a hip-hop fan. You and know. It was primarily West Coast music, so I love Tupac. He's my favorite rapper. So. Do you have a favorite thing about uh, living in Chicago yet? Whether it's um, a restaurant or... Food. Yeah, the food, food is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of restaurants you can name off. Steakhouses, obviously, because I'm a Nebraska boy. So right. Me and my wife are always down in the city trying to hit a new steakhouse. You got a favorite weekend. one yet, or gosh, maybe if they hear it, they'll. Uh, it's been. I mean, I've been up a, a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. Well, uh, we had Ego on last week. He's a big fan of Maestros. Maestros. Maestros, excuse me. And uh, I know Jay likes Chicago Cut. I've been that we went to so. Chicago Cut last weekend for my birthday. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, birthday. Thank hey, you. Um, Chicago Cut's phenomenal. Gibson's. Uh, I really like the ambiance at Del Frisco's. Yeah. The Frisco's is cool. Uh, Mastro's, always good. There's a place called Bavette's. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it there. Um, there's, I've got plenty more I need to go to. Uh, I just love the feeling down in the city. It's fun. Yeah. A couple more for you. Uh, what's something about Jay that uh, folks might not know about? Jay has a, a very dry sense of humor, and it's awesome. Yeah. That a lot of people don't get to see. Um, they don't. A lot of people don't get to see Jay as Jay. I mean, they see him as a quarterback, and that's really it. And I think he takes too much heat. But if they got to know who he is as a person, I think uh, the public opinion would probably be a little better. Yeah, um, I know you're right now focused on the Lions. We're, we're, this is going to be played next week after the Lions mm-hmm. game. Do you have big plans for the bye week? No, 
relaxing. See, here's the thing. You, we already got our bye week schedule, so if you leave, I'm wasting two days of, of travel. Right. You know, I'll probably just, my kids are in school, so we'll hang out here, enjoy the city. Um, that'll probably give us a chance to, you know, and explore it even more, opposed to... Yeah. Watch the Cubs. Yeah, oh, hit a Cubbies game. Can we get his tickets? We got to find tickets you for that. Figure man. Out. Mariani was at the. I know, games. but how is he going there? I don't know. I, I mean, I last I checked, he played a couple more snaps than he did last I week. I know. <laughs> we got to figure something out. I'm talking to the wrong people. All right, so we'll finish with one more football question. You know, we don't. The Bears don't want to see the situation arise, but mm-hmm. is there a chance? You know, you got to get out there and throw a ball at some point. I've been lobbying for that, man. <laughs> We need a tight end, throwback, something. Let Jay go down the sideline or let me throw it to Marty. Ooh, That'd be yeah. cool. Well, I kind of want to see Jay streaking down the sideline right? past somebody. And, the, and then we do like a little crip walk in the we're, end zone. Yeah, we're running this, uh, you know, we put these wildcat plays in and Jay splits out. I was getting on him. I said, dude, you got to work on your two-point on your stance. Oh, he just stands he there. He just stands yeah. out there. So you got to get ready, man. Yeah. Well, like you've seen the Jay Color don't care meme on the internet. Oh, yeah. yeah. So when he's don't out there just care. standing there at the Wildcat, I kind of think, oh, it's just Jay Color. He just doesn't care. He's yes. just standing out there. All right. Well, that is Zach Miller, your football player for the Chicago Bears. Thanks again. Appreciate it, bro. A big thank you to Zach Miller, Bears football player, as he likes to call himself. He's not a fullback or an H-back or a tight end. He's just a football player. Uh, for that interview, uh, we are now joined by our closer, Hub Arkish, and uh, Hub, the best part of the interview, which you just came in at the end, um, we were talking about, wait, Jay Cutler, when they do the Wildcat, and Jay Cutler kind of stands off to the side, he just stands there, and <laughs> he just doesn't really run anything, so Zach Miller was kind of chiding him a little bit for just being the classic Jay Cutler, just not caring off to the side, which is pretty kind of you know about his personality just what he is yeah the puzzle to me with zach miller is he's an outstanding receiver for a tight end he is not an accomplished inline blocker and yet he's been primarily an inline blocker with the bears this year they they haven't thrown to him much when they have there's been some issues and i think you can give him a lot more you know as far as jay i'm sure it was tongue-in-cheek cutler seems to have admirers this year where he he had doubters in the past so let's hope for bears fans that that continues yeah zach miller is a big uh jay cutler fan uh now that you're here how you can help us with the question of the podcast. What is a catch? You know, guys, I, I guess I'm the only one, but I, I think that they got it right. Uh, Arthur thinks so too. Well, so. I mean, and the second it happened, I'm, I'm, you know, at uh, where were we? We were at Burger Bar with with Big Cat Williams and Olin Crutes, and you know, they're yelling, screaming. I said, guys, that that's the correct call. The, the whole issue. Of, of completing the process of the catch has the caveat when going to the ground. He was not going to the ground. He caught the football. He took a second and a third step over the plane of the goal line, and it's no different from when a guy dives for the pylon and, and the ball hits the pylon and then it comes out. He had possession when he crossed the plane. And, and so I do think that that the rule that everybody assumed applied there, which really doesn't, which is this idea of, of completing the process of the catch, um, it was confusing before and I think unfair. So the competition committee got together this offseason and they made it more confusing right. when they changed the language. I agree that there's a problem there. But in this case, um, that rule didn't apply. It was strictly did he have possession and establish himself as a runner when he crossed the plane? He did, you know, by any definition. So um, unfortunate for the Bears, but that's you know, the way it goes. Normally, Arthur, this point of podcast, I allowed you to disagree with your dad, but uh, you guys kind of you guys agree on this one. But I, I will say this: uh, one of the points I brought up is if Golden Tate took two more steps and then tripped and fell. So he's he's taking like four steps in the end zone and then falls and then the ball comes out 
and then Kyle Fuller grabs it or something, then that probably wouldn't be a catch because he fell at the way end. But but then again, like the whole crossing the plane of the goal line, I get that too. When I saw the first replay, I said that that they're going to overturn. That's going to be a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that this whole crossing the plane and what is a catch don't seem to mesh very well with each other. What makes no sense is this idea of completing the process of the catch. 99% of us who've watched any football at all know the difference between a catch and not a catch, you know, as far as completing the process, you know. Um, we had a call on the postgame show at the score. Uh, some lady called, and at first I thought, what's she talking about? And I realized she was making a lot of sense. Her argument was they should change the rule about the ground causing a fumble. Oh, yeah. Because if the ground can't cause a fumble, then this other whole debate goes away, you know. And and she, she actually has an interesting point. So, you know, I, I, I just... My take on this, guys, is that when you watch the other three major sports, you know, baseball, basketball, hockey, there are calls that you don't like, but it's because you just think the umpire got it wrong. You you know the rule, you think he got it wrong. In the NFL, so many of these calls are designed to be judgment calls that you're always going to have these issues. And so get rid of the judgment calls. Come up with a clear definition of what pass interference is and enforce it that way. Come up with a clear definition uh, of what, you know, um, holding is and enforce it that way. The NFL, they adjust rules in ways that they think are going to make the game more marketable and make them more money. They're not adjusting rules to try and clean up the officiating, and that's why I think it's getting worse instead of better. Arthur, we um, I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, kind of wrap up the show. Normally we wrap up the show with kind of one player to watch in the Bears' next game. We will talk about Bears-Vikings next week on the podcast. So I want to talk about this bye week. You know, the Bears are going to do their self-scouting. Uh, we were at Hallis on Tuesday and Wednesday in which they talked about the things they're going to work on. I'm sure all of us have a thing that we think the Bears should really focus on. Uh, red zone offense would be kind of near the top of my list. But I want to talk about individual players uh, as we wrap up here. And I'll start with you, Arthur. If there's a player or maybe even a unit uh, that you think is kind of a guy to watch, a guy that really needs to improve and you want to see more from in the final 10 games this season. Uh, how about, I'll say the outside linebackers aside from the starters. So that way I can lump in both Willie Young and Lamar Houston. I, I talked at the top of the show about my disappointment, my frustration in the pass rush over the past couple of weeks. Um, but you have to find out sooner or later what you have after Pernell McPhee. I think Sam Macho is already forcing the Bears' hand and maybe getting a long-term deal. Um, but I just have to wonder if there's anything in Houston and Young. If they're got, they're both going to be on team-friendly deals for the next couple years. Are they worth keeping around? I, I think right now that's absolutely to be determined. And uh, very curious to see what type of production, what type of development they're able to show uh, over the last whatever it is, ten weeks of the season. Yeah, in our weekly insert, which you can, of course, find in the Sun-Times, Northwest Herald, and Daily Herald, among other papers, uh, Adam Johns wrote about the pass rush, and that just you, you need more than just Pernell McPhee. Jarvis Jenkins has been nice, but some one of these edge rushers has to uh, kind of step up and, and get some sacks, whether it's Acho or Houston uh, or Young going forward, and you know, Maybe it's times like this that you wonder if they should have tried to keep David Bass, who was coming on strong at the end uh, of the preseason there. Hub, who, who's the guy you're kind of looking at? Yeah, I mean, to me, guys, the, the, the unfortunate reality is that there's nobody on the roster who's going to be an outstanding edge-rushing right. outside linebacker. They, this is one of the areas where they've got to get better. I, to me, it's Kyle Fuller. Uh, you know, I, I've said it from the moment they drafted him. I think he's a safety. I've always thought he was a safety. If you go back and watch the tape of the Lions game, he'll come up and nail you on a bubble screen. He'll come up and stick his head in to try and force the edge on the run um, and you go back to when Phil Emery drafted him and we said well what was it he said oh it was the tape of that Georgia Tech game that day he played an in-the-box safety and he blitzed all day and he was fierce 
that's what he's good at. He, he is not a cover corner. He, he's not getting better. He's probably getting worse. And, and, and I'm just curious to see, A, how much longer they're going to leave him out there because if Terrence Mitchell was healthy, I got a hunch that he'd be taking reps away from him. And when they finally decide that they can't afford to have him on the field a corner, will they move him over to safety? You know how sometimes I've, uh, uh, let's see, I've disagreed actually generally with the idea of moving him to safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said it, I turned to Adam Hogue during the game on Sunday and I said, husband right all this time like this is i was watching some of those plays and and watching the open field tackles he makes and and he just the awareness just isn't there when the ball is in the air and you need that when when playing cornerback and i'm sure when you told adam that i'd been right all this time adam replied probably correctly even a blind squirrel finds an acorn (laughs) once in a while you know so no hub of course not um one guy I'm going to be kind of keeping an eye on is Christian Jones. Uh, we got a chance to talk to Glenn Pyers, the inside linebackers coach. There'll be a story on our website later this week about that. Christian Jones needs to start making some plays. He, he's shown some nice flashes over the past two weeks. Almost had an interception against Detroit. Uh, had a good pass defense against Kansas City. But the inside linebackers, the middle of this defense, someone's got to make some plays. They got to create some turnovers. And Christian Jones is—he's athletic at all as all get out. And I think he's got the instincts. But he's a young player; he's raw, and this could be a good opportunity for him to start making some big plays. Yeah, if I could just follow up on that, Kevin, because I've been getting a lot of questions this week. Oh, what about John Anderson? What about John Timo? What about Leroy Runs? Let, let me make this as clear as I can. Okay, the Bears have two linebackers inside or outside on this football team right now, and their names are Pernell McPhee and Sam Acho. The future is not on the roster beyond that because none of these guys are naturals for the positions they're trying to play. Now, I could eventually see, uh, I, you know, shoot me for saying it, the experiment with Shea all along should have been as a stand-up outside linebacker. I think Christian Jones may be able to play there. I think that's where his athleticism leads him. Maybe they do that. But as far as the guys they have and the positions they have him right now, Arthur, I don't know if you agree, but I, I'm convinced that, that, that uh, McPhee and, and Acho are the only two linebackers on the team. Hub, I was getting ready to vehemently disagree, and then you kind of walked back a little bit and saying maybe Jones is out of position, and maybe you're right about that. But I just I would say it's too soon to write off a 24 year old with the type of uh, God given ability he has. I agree with Kevin that the instincts uh, may be there, and we just need to see more. So maybe it is that the outside rush job that he needs to take. We've seen him blitz a little bit. We know he has that length, um, but I would just say it might be a little too soon to write off Cheese now that he's maybe a a full time starter going and. To, you know, for the first full season, if you count going back to last year. Well, as I said, that's that's kind of why I want to see. I want to see him step up in in the last half of the season and see what he can do. I would normally wrap up with our predictions, but there's no Bears game this week. Uh, I don't have the full NFL schedule in front of me, but I do have the college schedule. So I'm gonna pick a game at random that we all have to pick, <laughs> and the game that we are gonna pick today, we are going to go to the all. Uh, let's see, what was it called? Now? The American Conference it used to be Conference USA. East Carolina is hosting number 22 and undefeated Temple. Uh, East Carolina is actually a three-point favorite at home, even though Temple six and zero. East Carolina four and three. Hub, I mean, I know you're a big fan of Blake Kemp, the uh, Eastern Carolina quarterback. But who do you have in this game, East Carolina or Temple? Yeah, I was going to say if East Carolina still had Shane Carden yeah. at quarterback, the only East Carolina pirate I know, I, I might be able to make a pick here. You know, I, I didn't quite frankly realize that Temple was still playing football, so um, that's not true. I knew that, but you know, Bill Cosby jokes are probably inappropriate at this point. Yeah, we're a podcast. They're, they're, well, there's none left. I mean, you know, who wants to go after that dirtbag? So um, in the hopes that he suffers some more, I'll take East Carolina to knock oh, off Temple. Wow, big ups. Well, I guess the, they're favored, so it wouldn't be a big upset, but handing Temple its first loss. Arthur, this is very important to the podcast. Who do you got? I'm 
So we've lost Arthur. That's how tough. Even our Skype connection couldn't stand us picking this game. My father, I thought for sure this was a layup. His guy Terry Williams, East Carolina alum. I was sure you were going with the Swamp Monster instead of. I guess it was Shinya Sadi. Anyway. So, so Arthur's looks yeah, like he's... Yeah, uh, East Carolina. I don't know if you heard the bit on Terry Williams, but East Carolina. Yes, okay. So Arthur likes the Pirates. Because you guys both pick East Carolina, I'm taking the Temple Owls. John Chaney, he still coaches there, right? The football team, basketball team. Uh, I'll, I'll take Temple in that one and, and hold us to that. We'll, we'll, we'll recap it uh, next week. That'll do it for this week's edition of the ChicagoFootball.com Bears podcast. Don't forget to get all the best Bears news and analysis at ChicagoFootball.com. Com. We'd like to remind you that our podcast is available on iTunes, so please head over there and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We want to thank our sponsor, your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. Like the most dependable and longest-lasting trucks on the road, Chevy Truck Month rolls on. Check out all the Chevy truck selections at ChevyDriveChicago.com today and drive what Dan Hampton drives. A big thanks to our guests on the show, Robert Klemko of the MMQB and Bears tight end Zach Miller, our executive producer, Dan Mott, associate producer, Nick DeMaio, our closer, Hub Arkish, and my co-host, Arthur Arkish, for all of us here at ChicagoFootball.com. We hope you have a great week. We will preview Bears-Vikings coming after, after the bye next week. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.